0: Greetings, friends. My name is Jessa McLean, and I'm here to provide you with some blueprints of disruption. This weekly podcast is dedicated to amplifying the work of activists, examining power structures, and sharing the success stories from the grassroots. Through these discussions, we hope to provide folks with the tools and the inspiration they need to start to dismantle capitalism, decolonize our spaces, and bring about the political revolution that we know we need. Across Canada,
1: the disconnect between wages and rent prices has become truly staggering. In Toronto, the wage needed to afford a one-bedroom apartment is over double that of minimum wage. Politicians routinely fail renters, opting to appeal to homeowners more often than not. And so, as with everything, the pushback has to come from the ground up at king and john in toronto the residents of two buildings owned by the same corporate landlord started a rent strike on june 1st we were lucky to interview bruno of the york southwest and tenant union bruno's optimism was contagious and he was generous in sharing his knowledge of genuine community organizing with us he gives us the rough blueprints of starting a tenant union Connecting, finding common ground, sharing knowledge and examples of success, finding courage, and pushing back against those who would price them out of their home. We also get to find out just how they got to the point of a rent strike. The decision was not done in haste, but after years of attempts by members of the York Southwest Tenant Union to reason and negotiate with Dream Unlimited. In the end, though, the episode is really about so much more than a rent strike, Tenant unions hold a lot of answers to the questions we ask ourselves on the show. How do we politicize our community in meaningful ways? How do we harness collective powers? And some answers to the housing crisis. For me personally, this episode reinvigorated a lot of my fight, and I hope that it can do the same for you. Let's listen in.
0: Welcome, Bruno. Bruno, can you introduce yourself to the audience for us, please? Sure.
2: Thank you for having me. My name is Bruno Dobrusin, and I am a tenant in Toronto. I am part of the York Southwestern Tenant Union, uh, and we've been organizing with tenants in the northwest corner of Toronto for the last uh, five years now. And yeah, we're now, among other things, leading a rent strike in two buildings in our community.
0: Congratulations on the rent strike. I think that is has excited a lot of people, but There might be somebody listening who has never even heard of a tenant union. Very promising developments indeed. Can you let us know what a tenant union is and how one gets started in one? You know, like we know workplace unions. We've talked to Acorn about community unions, but this is a little more specific. Yeah. So, I mean,
2: actually, at least in Ontario, we have a very flexible law that allows tenants to organize oftentimes tenants don't know this landlords don't put it out there obviously but it is in the residential tenancies act that tenants have a right to organize doesn't say what form it can be anything it can be a building committee it can be a tenant union it can be tenant associations we decided to form a tenant union because we felt that number one a lot of the tenants that organize in our community have multiple part-time jobs. So their labor unions was not really, even if they were unionized, there was really no space for them to have a community to build up their activism, their political education, to take action. It was very difficult when you have to shuffle between many part-time jobs, even if you're unionized, to create that kind of community. Um, and we, we came to the realization that and the same for us is that it is our homes the space where we can organize. So we call it a tenant union and we hope that you know one day we could have collective bargaining rights with landlords uh, that would be kind of a long-term goal but uh, in many ways it can be it can take any form uh, tenant organizing. What's important is that you have the right and that the landlord cannot interfere if they do, you know, you you have many tools to actually call them out, and they can get penalized for trying to.
1: How did uh, how did you get started in disorganizing? How does what are like some of the first steps involved? It seems you know living in Toronto, oftentimes in these buildings, it's feels very disconnected. Like sometimes I don't know who my neighbors are. How do you go from that to organizing with your neighbors? I think it's actually
2: much. Easier that part than organizing in your workplace. Um, the first task is knocking on your neighbors' doors, and then you will realize that a lot of the issues that you have are shared with your neighbors. So that's kind of the first part. That's how we started. We, you know, we had issues with our landlords, and other neighbors had issues with their landlords, and we just started knocking on our neighbors' doors and saying, hey, like these are issues that we're having. Did you get that notice that says X and Y? I don't understand what it says. And that kind of ballooned into many other people wanting to talk to their neighbors, the word spreading. Um, so I think task number one is to realize that you're not alone. I think that's a common feeling among many people. We started before the pandemic, but it was great that we were there during the pandemic because it helped keep people connected and organized as well but yeah the first one is just knowing that you're not alone and then just willing to go out with your neighbors and that's when people like us that may not live in that in a specific building but we've done it before we've done it where we live it helps to bring people along who have done it before so it takes away that that kind of fear but it's not a fear that paralyzes you just a kind of a shame of like oh what am I going to say what if they don't like me? What if, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I don't like them because I don't know, they, they walk their dog uh, in their apartment and I live right below them. I don't know, there are many ways that you may have issues with your neighbors. But I think knocking on doors and then most probably you're going to find out that people share your realities and that you have a lot of things in common. Maybe your kids go to the same schools. Maybe you actually hang out in the same places in the neighborhood. Um, this is actually something very common in in toronto rental buildings i would say in working class communities i don't know if you live in a condo downtown if that's a shared reality um, but it's definitely in a community like ours people find out that they actually share a lot in common so that's the number one the second part is finding a common issue and that can be <laughs> very broad people have all kinds of issues We've always found that having a very concrete issue that is happening in their building it's key. So we can have very broad goals like, you know, we want to overturn the landlord system and expropriate buildings, etc, but what actually brings people, especially people that may not have political experience or may not have been part of a political organization is very concrete demands that they can actually see um, the change of the of having the collective organizing. So anything from people don't notice the rent increases that are above the provincial guideline. What does that mean? Why are we all getting this? Is this, you know, are they allowed to do it? How do we fight back? That's, that's one concrete. The other could be they're doing repairs that nobody asked for, and they're not repairing my unit. So that when you knock on other people, though, you'll find that those are very concrete issues that happen in every to every tenant more or less and that builds the unity and it's just very simple concrete demand that leads to broader issues why are landlords allowed to do this what can tenants do so that actually expands the political imagination but it we never start by saying hey how about we expropriate this uh, (laughs) this building Uh, because probably most people will not come along it's very difficult to start that way
0: So, yeah, it's not just a way to fight back against landlords, but a way to politicize our community. Right. Something that seems sometimes out of reach in the electoral political world and, and can only seem to be done with like genuine community organizing. But, Bruno, how do you cross that mental barrier, though? So I get like connecting neighbors. I mean, door knocking is scary for some people. I've done it. I've campaigned. But, you know, some people don't answer their door. A text message going off at the wrong time sends them wondering (laughs) what's going on. But a real need for third spaces that reinforces that need for third spaces in buildings or near high rises where folks can connect in more organic ways than, you know, having to go door to door. But you've connected. You've found common ground. Again, like that's probably easy with bad landlords and high rents. But then how do you convince them that they can go up against their landlord and be successful and not have retribution to be within their rights to not expect to get evicted? How do you how do you where does that courage come from, I suppose? <laughs> so, I think it comes
2: you always try to grab um, an example that you built in the past. Kind of the issue is where, where you have the first example you can grab. And once you have that, it helps in saying, hey, your neighbors in this other building did it, and nobody got evicted. Um, why not? You do it yourself. Now, mind you that what we're doing now, and we can get to that later on the rent strike, is kind of the ultimate. This has been a three years long work in these buildings. It's not something that you... I will never throw it out there as a first option for people. Because it takes a lot of organizing, and if you come... We had a lot of people reaching out, and now from all over the country saying, hey, I want to do a rent strike, and it's like, okay, well... (laughs) Are you meeting the conditions that you need to do it? Otherwise, you are exposing people Do you people even to... have a
0: tenant union yet?
2: <laughs> have you talked no. to your neighbors? Or is it just you sitting in your room that you read this and you're like, hey, I'm going to do it. And don't do it by yourself. You are going to expose yourself to a lot of risk. Um, so I think finding good examples and uh, started by things that are winnable and then building up people's confidence. That's, I think, one The second is finding just good messengers. You always have tenants in buildings that have confronted the landlord for whatever reason. It's being able to say, hey, we need you to bring your neighbors along because your neighbors are going through the same and they see you as a person of reference or maybe more than one. And I don't know any case, we have tenants uh, organizing in uh, 13 buildings in the community. I don't know, any building that doesn't have that one tenant. is often the person that approaches us that has started already. And they are the kind of leading force that can say, hey, actually, you know what? Um, I don't know. I, I took them to the Landlord and tenant board and I beat them. And, you know, <laughs> you can do it too. Sometimes it's like that, and sometimes it's just like uh, a small fight back. Like, I don't know, they said that they were going to come and fix this. They didn't do it, so... Um, I went to the media it's a classic and maybe somebody picked up an interview something like that anyways somebody took that courage and now it's about building the collective space around i think that's the most effective um just the other thing i was going to say that we do a lot of work to is we try to build a lot of community around this Uh, so for us it's very important number one to identify we don't say people are unorganized. People are organized. They're just not organized in the spaces that we think they should be or that we as political people think that it should be parties, unions, or tenant unions. 99% of the people we organize here with are organized through religious organizations, for example. They go to church, they go to mosque. Um, they are very involved usually in their churches, in their mosque. And they're involved in community building. So they have that experience that, for us, is how do we tap into that, uh, into that experience? How do we bring along, for example, now on the rent strike, we have the local imam is supporting the rent strike. Uh, stuff like that is very important because that also builds people's confidence to say, hey, you're already part of a collective. We're just trying to replicate that in this context, right? Um, and just the second part is having fun. Uh, so. We do a lot of, we have movie nights, we have ice cream parties, block parties, and very often in especially municipal politics and spaces, homeowners get all the space. You know, homeowners do all the festivals, they have the movie nights in the parks where it's only white folk who are uh, invited. Um, So we try to actually take up public space for tenants. Uh, It's very important for us. So there is a Santa Claus parade in our neighborhood that nobody had ever had a tenant-specific parade. So we put together a parade with characters from Frozen. For York Southwestern specifically? Yeah, yeah, it's a parade. It's a huge local event. (laughs) Uh, It's massive. Thousands of people from the neighborhood go to this parade. So first we, we approached the business association. We said, hey, we're going to have a fleet too. Oh, who are you? We're a group of tenants and we're going to have a fleet. We want to have a tenant Santa. Um, And obviously they say, look, there's only one Santa. We don't want to confuse kids. If every fleet has their own Santa, it can be very confusing. So you can do the fleet, just don't have a tenant Santa because there's one Santa that comes at the end. It's that everybody has the same. So in our (laughs) fleet, we did it around Frozen, the uh, Disney movie. Um, And it was... The big hit was Olaf, the character I don't know if you've seen Frozen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Way I mean, too if many cats. Kids, You probably have. If you don't, you also probably have. And it was Olaf asking with a big sign that said, Elsa, will you freeze my rent? Um, so just only that
0: That's good. was funny.
2: <laughs> and also it allowed us to, we gave out candy with know your rights information throughout the parade. And people were laughing, taking photos. Oh, this is a... So creating that space that is fun and also that people feel like, hey, what is this about? They're openly inviting me. It's funny and it's also about my rights. Kind of a mix of those things.
0: This is, right now I'm just soaking up pure joy. I don't, it's going to take me a second to formulate another question because...
2: I'll give you another example that maybe helps (laughs) also reinforce this. So we have, and this we started during COVID and then we kept doing it. So we have a newsletter. One thing that we've done is We don't deny digital spaces, they're important for certain groups, but for us the vast majority it's a paper that goes under people's doors. So we have a system of distribution where we have tenants who put out the newsletter in each of their buildings every three or four months depending also what we can do. The biggest hit in the newsletter that we have is at the back we have a crossword if you feel the, cro- the crossword is based on what's in the newsletter. So you have to read the newsletter. If you fill the crossword and you send us a photo, you get a t-shirt.
0: Is it one of those York Southwestern... In... Yeah, because you get a t-shirt from York Southwestern. Let me see if I can find... Blueprints uh, is going to need to make a donation so we can score some of these shirts.
2: Sorry, let me... I'm just out for a sec. Anyways, so in this... Basically, this newsletter has information, always has something like, this is what's happening. You may have heard, let's say... The government announced a rent freeze. Uh, what should you do? Stuff like that. And it also has always a social thing where we invite people to something that is just fun. Um, and the crossword at the back. And it always has something like around your rights. Like one, let's say it's summer, we'll, we'll talk about air conditioning. Can you put up your own air conditioning? Can the landlord charge you extra, etc. Uh, and then the crossword will be always around that. And then when people feel it, They take a photo, they send it to the tenant Union email, and they get a T-shirt. So for us, it's like, okay, fun, somebody did the crossword, great. But somebody took the word to read the newsletter, to do the crossword, take a photo, and expect a T-shirt. Those become key points in those buildings for us. It's someone that we built a very strong connection with. So it allows us, it's like a noble
0: phishing scam, right? Like, (laughs) if you open this email, we got you. I know if you went (laughs) through the effort of filling out this crossword, I can get you to organize your building.
2: (laughs) Kind of, yeah.
0: You gotta find them uh, somehow.
2: But it's a way, and not always, you know, sometimes it's just people that like doing crosswords, and And everybody loves swag. I love like every time I go to a meeting, I want the t-shirt if there is one there, you know. So which just the same logic.
1: <laughs> this reminds me a bit of a, an idea I was thinking about recently, because I was I was walking on on the street where I live, where there's a lot of mid-rise buildings, and every single one has lawns in front of them that are just like empty grass lawns. And I I have been having like this urge to like try and organize some community gardens within my building to use that land because because the way I see it that could feed half of the building uh, in in the space that we have and it seems like such a waste and so you're 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 inspiring a little bit of uh my fight there um I wanted to ask about because in in the past I've heard examples of times when for example, for the simple act of organizing, without even having a rent strike, for the simple act of organizing, tenants have received threats of evictions that happened um, in Parkdale um, at one of the buildings. And and so I know that there's a lot of different ways, not all of them legal, which landlords try to slow down disorganizing to fight this. I, I was wondering what your experience is with that and like how you help protect people from that both um le- legally i guess but also just that's scary right and that can mm-hmm. put a lot of brakes on something so how do you how do you fight that
2: yeah so landlords go on all kinds of t- intimidation this is what i think it's sometimes funny to hear when you you get the landlord narrative in the media as if these are innocent folks and innocent corporations that just, they're housing providers. But they they go to like very large extents extents to intimidate folks, and now on the rent strike, it's been very intense. So, we we do a few things. One is just actually normalize that you're going to get intimidated, because what you're doing is actually a threat to them. And try to get people prepared for it, so that when they get An N4, which is the most common eviction notice because you're late on rent, that you don't freak out and that you know that N4s are most of the time bullshit, that they're not, they're poorly worded. They, you do not have to move out by the time it says. um, You do not have to, it doesn't even mean that the landlord has started an eviction application. The landlord cannot evict you. It has to be an order of the landlord and tenant board. You have a right to a hearing. There are many things that you can bring bring up to try to put people of, at ease on that and to prepare them, especially when you're doing collective organizing. There is a big challenge that we have, which is how much do we do individual cases of people who are, and for us it's a challenge because our priority is to do collective organizing and there is a sequence and I think sometimes it's reinforced by a lot of organizations, by a lot of political parties by that people get serviced right you go to an office you resolve your problem you go home and that's it you went to your constituency office your mpp or your mp or your counselor resolve your issue you and then you didn't have to collectively fight back you just want to get a resolution you go to the local ngo for the same um and i think that's a very dangerous kind of mode that is very common in canada i'm from argentina from latin america and I don't think that was not never in my head as a grassroots organization that there was a risk of becoming a service organization, because people don't go to collective organizations to get a service. But I think it's very common here. And sometimes that's the challenge with people that they come, they expect something you resolve for them individually, they might not be willing to fight. And then when they get the threats from the landlord, they, they kind of back off. and. It's a fine line for us how much of those cases we, we try to take on and to, and to defend people. Uh, that being said, we had normally we make a distinction with evictions. If somebody comes and says, hey, I got an eviction order, the sheriff said they're coming. We are, and we've done it before, physically gonna resist the eviction from the sheriff. Um, normally when that happens, it has happened only a few cases, the sheriff's office doesn't wanna confront. He puts the landlord in a really bad place so it they, they generally needs a negotiation, but it's very tense, and it's very tense for people. If you have kids, you know, losing your home is very different from losing your job. Both are tragic, but the home is particularly, I think, um, threatening to your stability as a, as a family, as a person. Um, so yeah, I think inoculation is a big thing. It's just saying, look, the landlord will respond, but you know what? They always do this anyways, even when you don't organize. So the eviction notice is a good example. People get enforced for nothing all the time, and then they get withdrawn because when you push back and say, "Hey, this is you know this is illegal," what you're doing is, they they withdraw them. We had many many cases like that. So at the same time, I think it's a threat that gets old fairly quickly because people get very used to it, um, and yeah, and I think just landlords it's kind of backfires. If there is some kind of collective organizing, if you're on your own, yeah, it can be it can be scary. Um, but that being said, there's people that get it all the time, and they keep going with their lives.
0: I know you said a, a rent strike is your last resort, and most unions would say the same thing, right? It's the most disruptive and risky endeavor. But that's the reality. At 33 King Street and 22 John Street, they're on strike right now. What led to that last resort? You know, what couldn't be resolved any other way? And yeah, can you tell us more about the strike in general? Because folks, you know, I think that's one of those concepts that we've talked about a lot, but it's not realized all that often. I'm seeing folks in Thorncliffe are also on strike since May 1st. So this is really promising to see, and it's hopefully contagious. Right. So what did it take to finally convince folks that this they needed to take this hard step?
2: So to give you some context, both those buildings are owned by the same company, which is called Treeman Limited. And it's a company that claims to be socially conscious uh, landlord uh, that cares about the tenants. And I think the high, the hypocrisy of the company has gone a long way in leading tenants to, to want to run strike. Uh, but I, I guess the first to explain how we get there um, is that tenants in those buildings did all of the protest sequencing that you're supposed to do by the system, right? You go to your MPs, you go to your MPPs, to your local counselor, you know, they did a petition to the landlord saying, hey, 33 King is a building in Toronto with the highest number of above island rent increases in the city. What that means, for those who don't know, an above island rent increase in Ontario is when your landlord can apply because they're doing capital repairs and putting this in quotation marks because often these are cosmetic bullshit uh, applications. Those are the
0: repairs you were talking about before that nobody asked for, but they're being... Exactly. yeah,
2: Yeah. And then they can increase the rent above the provincial guidelines, so every year the government says rents can go up by 2.5%, suppose for this year, but this allows landlords to kind of go around rent control and increase rents. So these above guidelines rent increases were are relatively new, in they, they were introduced in the 1990s. Uh, they didn't exist before. And it's this whole thing that landlords cry poor because all the old buildings that they need repairs, But at the same time, these same landlords are claiming very high profits on their rents. So, for example, Dream, in these two buildings, in their own financial reports, they say 50% of every rent is profit. 50%. I don't know any other business that you have those profit margins and you still need to get extra money. so Out of housing.
0: You, this isn't you, just any product. Yeah, this is something exactly. people talk about decommodifying. Fifty percent profit margins makes Gale and Weston look like charitable. Yeah, like he should get
2: into housing, and they are actually President's Choice is getting into housing. Don't don't tell uh, me that, Bruno. It is happening. Uh, so, but what? So, at 33 King, tenants have fought many years against these applications. So they had. Just the last ones were in 2018, 2019, and 2021. These are supposed to be like, kind of once every 20 year applications that landlords make for capital repairs. They're clearly doing it every year. And the one that really pissed them off the most was 2021 when DAC4 announced, we're gonna have a rent freeze in Ontario because of the pandemic. But he excluded above-island rent increases. So people had a rent increase, even though they were hearing everywhere that there was a rent freeze.
0: Hold on, I just want to clarify that point. So, during a rent freeze, the only increases were the ones that were even above grade. Yes. So, you could only have really big rent increases, not standard ones.
2: Uh, Correct. There is a limit on how much AGIs can go, but yes, it's normally double the the guideline, the provincial guideline. So people are supposed to get zero, they got 3%. The provincial guideline is normally around 2 On top of that, um, there is the issue that um, you saw an explosion of above guideline renting applications. And because it is basically what happens is that I'm a landlord, I apply for this. Until it gets approved, it might take a, a while. I can start charging this right away to tenants. In those notices that you send to tenants, it does say like, you can pay, it's an optional payment to pay the extra amount. But the way the notices are, are framed, it actually, basically the fear is that if I don't pay the full amount, I'm gonna be evicted. That's uh, what the notice gives uh, the sense to be, right? So a lot of people just end up paying the full amount because they don't know. Then when we find out, we say, look, you're not obliged to, to pay until it has been approved by the landlord and tenant board, we can fight it, etc." But basically they start charging it right away.
0: You can see the value of the union already, like without anything else, like having that knowledge that you talked about having to spread around. So it's so easy to be manipulated in those circumstances without knowing what your rights are.
1: I can only imagine, too, that for uh, people who are here on work visas, on study visas, um, international students, uh, which is making more and more a larger part of the tenant demographic, that it's that much easier to manipulate and to exploit because they may not be as familiar with what the the processes and rules are here. Right?
2: Mm-hmm. Even for permanent residents. Um, I, 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 I mean, I just became a citizen a week ago. I was a permanent resident until very recent. Congratulations. And when you do all the applications, thank you. <laughs> now I can go to jail. <laughs> but it's, it's placing to that, even for someone like myself, when you look at all the paperwork you have to do just to get permanent residency, and then from permanent residency to citizenship, is all this thing around not breaking the law, right? So people get afraid that this could mean criminal, uh, That the, what, if you resist anything from your landlord, it could be part of your immigration file, it has nothing to do, and they cannot connect those two. Um, but that is a fear that plays into that. And especially if you're in a more precarious status or you have no status, in those cases, it's even more more challenging um, to to organize. We've had um, not so much in big buildings, but uh, rooming houses, informal rooming houses. And I know a lot because of language, Latin American folks that reach out and they're in much more precarious positions um, to confront the landlord. Um, Although the landlord is entirely illegal, what they're doing, but uh, it's a fight of illegalities. So just to go back on the rent strike, so the 33 King was about guile and rent increases. One thing that we did last year after all of that mobilization with the same landlord, they agreed to negotiate the 2018 application that they had put together. And they actually cut it in half in that negotiation.
0: Because that still hadn't been approved? Is that how long they take?
2: Yeah, they take a long time. Okay. But in the meantime, people pay.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Because they're afraid, etc. So back and forth, back and forth, we get a negotiation going. They agree to cut it in half. It's an order, which meant that for about 200 tenants that were part of that application, they should have given back money. Like, it, it meant about $1.5 million that we were giving back to tenants over 10 years. So it's like hundreds of thousands of dollars a year that the landlord was gonna have to return to tenants. We signed a deal, yay, we won, blah, blah, blah. In three months when they were supposed to do it, they don't do it. And that's when you have very little recourse as a, as a tenant. You don't, it's not like you can take them to court and say you breach an order. That doesn't exist and it takes another, any, any space takes years. And that's what led that building to be like, that's it. Like we did everything the system is telling us that uh, be polite, be friendly, talk to your landlord. These guys totally broke their word, and, yeah, now this is the only choice we have. so it, actually, the idea of the rent strike didn't come from us. It came from tenants in the building who said, well, what's that's it that's not I mean, we don't even know what our rent is now because they were supposed to cut us our rent. They they failed to do that. So what is where kinda of in legal nebula here. Yeah, you um, can't
0: convince those folks to go into negotiations with the landlord again. You can't all the systems have failed them at that point.
2: Yeah. So there was a core group of people in this building that had also it's a building with a lot of long term tenants. People are very aware that this is the last affordable housing that exists in the city. So they're not going to move out anytime soon and they're not going to give it up. Um, And also it's people that have built their lives in this community. So they're staying. And I think the level of frustration was so high that people started thinking about this and then we just put the goal of like, okay, well, look, this is what a rent strike will imply. This is what it, it means. This is the numbers that we need. We can't just call a rent strike with... Just the hardcore people, we need to convince at least half of the building. Um we thought about at the time half of the building was two hundred units. So it's a four hundred unit building, thirty three King. Um but anyways we got to two hundred and twenty and that's when we called the strike on June first. But to get there it took months of knocking on doors, talking to your neighbors, and it had to be done by tenants. Like You have to convince your neighbor. Why are you willing to do it? And why are you willing to? That's the best argument we have. Get people marking, like, okay, what do your neighbors think? You know, this unit is supportive, this one is hesitant, this one is not. Let's start marking so that we know where to come back, what kind of, who may be a better messenger, you know, somebody maybe not so comfortable in English, let's send someone who speaks Spanish or Somali or another language. Um, so all of that took months until June 1st, which is when, when 33 King started the rent strike. And these buildings, they share landlord and they share... They're actually next to each other. They're on two different streets, but they're next to each other. They share parking. And 22 John is a new building. It was built or occupied after 2018, so it's not part of the rent control back for took out rent control from new buildings. So people in this building have been getting rent increases of 10% a year sometimes. Uh, This year, it's a case study where they get 10% rent increases.
0: I was looking at online and it was $3,900 for a one-bedroom apartment. And this building, I got my source here, you know very well, Chiara Padavani, uh, that $10 billion of public funds was used... $10 10 million.
2: 10 billion would be out I mean, 10 million is scandalous. <laughs> but, yeah. 10 billion is...
0: Was used to build this building that now yeah. is anything but affordable.
1: Yeah. I mean, just to be clear, 3900 that would require a salary of $140,000 a year to be what the, the recommended third of your salary towards rent, which that's... Who's making that kind of money?
2: Nobody and nobody who lives in this area. So what happens is that people just cram together. Uh, and it's a building that it's very fancy and new, where living conditions are actually worse than in other older, just because of how many people are living together. So 22 John is not rent controlled. They've also been fighting many years. It was one year where they managed to negotiate. The first year people moved in, the landlord wanted 25% rent increases, and there was a collective organizing that brought it down to five, which is still high, but from 25 to five, it's like a massive victory.
0: It's I'm still- sure that ensured a lot of people could stay. Like that's the difference yeah, of it, pay, being yeah, affordable
2: or not. People move out all the time because they don't know that it's not rent control, This is not clear to them when they rent, and then they end up getting these high increases. So when Tony John heard that Thirty Three King was going on rent strike against the same landlord, they said, "Hey, we want to join." And that's when they joined a month later on July first. And um, so now it's both buildings, and it's about right now I would say it's about three hundred units between both buildings that are uh, rent strike. So in is like less than half occupied. It's kind of a semi-empty building because of how expensive it is and how much turnover there is. Um, and yeah, it's about probably five hundred tenants altogether. If most people don't live by themselves, uh, so it's a big crowd of people to try to keep engaged and to also uh, to try to have a common message that everybody can 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 be part of.
1: I wanted to ask about that, actually, about that solidarity between buildings. And have you you worked with other tenant unions throughout this process? What kind of like communication is there or with other community organizations of various forms? Um,
2: Yeah. So before, so when we started discussing, so we've been in touch with many other tenant organizations in Toronto, the FMTA, the Federation of Metro Tenant Association. Um, folks from Parkdale Organized, folks from ACORN. Um, we have a policy that is fairly open. Like we, wanna, we want tenants, we want to win. And our problem is landlords, not other organizations. <laughs> um, so we take that position. Uh, it's not always easy, but um, that, that's how we operate. Um, so when we were discussing the rent strike, we did do a lot of like consultation with people that had done it or the issues for the first things that happened, you know, what do you think made a difference, etc. to try to build up that confidence and also based on the experience from other people that had gone on rent strike. So the case of Parkdale, there is the case of Hamilton as well. So just to see what happened. Um and we're in contact with the folks in Thorncliffe because they started earlier. So a lot of the things happened earlier to them, but it's the same things that are happening here. So it's kind of good to to keep tabs on that. Um, the other part I would say is that we worked a lot to get folks on board who may not be the usual suspects to come on for supporting a rent strike um, like who? and as I said before community organizations but unions um, and it's been huge Like the, the, we had very positive response from unions um, it helped that a lot of us are connected to the union movement but um, it was huge to the point that yeah we, we had big unions that I don't think they've ever had done something around housing like this, like one thing is to demand affordable housing, another thing is to come out for a rent strike, so we had Unifor, QP Ontario, uh, OPSU, uh, library workers, the library workers of Toronto have been like the most solid allies we've had for years. Those now, are good not allies to have. The
0: whole uh, the York what, Re- Toronto York Region label labor council as well right
2: amazing like they've been amazing Uh, and from the beginning they were like touching base you know what do you guys need what can we do on our side um so that that was a big thing um for us to try to show also to to tenants that are going on a rent strike it's a big decision that you're not alone not just your neighbors but look at all these people that it's with us and that's why we did the rally the main goal of the rally was to show that kind of community solidarity and support. So it was a rally and barbecue, just to add the fun part. And right food. after the rally, we had a community barbecue. We live music where people could just chill. You know, it's not all just stress.
0: <laughs> that was one of the big takeaways that we had from our interview with Alejandra of Acorn, uh, to bring joy into those movements and these fights are long and hard and we better make sure people are having fun and have space to relax and connect without having to talk the fight all the time. But I'm getting really giddy. Like I'm very excited because, you know, you're talking about Thorncliffe. That was May 1st. 33 John was on June 1st. No, I'm getting King. them mixed up. Then King <laughs> I know, Street it's common, it's common. on June 1st, July 1st, another building joins You know, you talked about, I asked you where people find the courage and your answer was examples. So surely like this is giving examples tenfold, the more exposure, because you guys are getting a lot of exposure on this, something I'm sure landlords are not very happy about. What's the response been from Dream Unlimited?
2: (laughs) Between embarrassing and predictable, I would say so. (laughs) We met them in April when we had this polite petition with the same demands, you know? We draw the AGIs from 33 King, respect rent control at 22 John. The demands are actually fairly, they're not radical, let's say. We're not saying we want free rent. Uh, we could, given the profits that they have, but it's actually a very simple demand. We want you to respect rent control, essentially, in both buildings, and to pay back for the services that you took from from tenants because you're doing renovations that affect their lives and they don't get access to like their balconies for a year so basically follow your leases that's the landlord dream unlimited um again tries to portray itself as a very community-friendly landlord they depend a lot on what's called esg funding like loans so environmental social and governance kind of funding that's how it's a it's one of those when you want to like divest from fossil fuel and you want to invest in, like, um, let's say, I don't know, ethical funds, this is where these guys come in, and now we're trying to <laughs> ruin that part of their image. But so we, we met with them in April, they didn't concede to any of the demands when the rent strike happened first. We got to respond right away, like June 1st or 2nd, they wrote back and said, hey, we're, uh, we're available to meet anytime. We said, okay, yeah, come meet, you know, where we live. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they <laughs> suddenly, one. they I think they wanted to test out how many people were actually withholding rent. So they went on, like they hired a call center to call through every apartment every day until they got them. Hey, why haven't you pay rent? Oh, you haven't paid rent? Why haven't you pay rent? You know, that kind of intimidation. Two
0: weeks later, they couldn't be bothered going door to door.
2: No, because they know they're gonna get a uh, mouthful. They already got it on the phone. But um, so two or three weeks later, they did. We did have a meeting that was embarrassing because they, it's like they completely. They came with their community foundation person, and she. <laughs> it was embarrassing because yeah, she basically they didn't acknowledge the core demand about fair rent, but also the kind of response was like, well, we're offering, you know, a breakfast program in the community uh, that it's, you know, on Fridays. But, you know, sometimes, as they say this, it's like, okay, you know, you can say, well, whatever, some charity. But, you know, we have a problem that sometimes people come with too many family members and they take too much. So, you know, if you may not have noticed it because it runs out fairly quickly. So on top of that, they complain that people are taking too many, I don't know, granola bars from those... <laughs> So people left that meeting furious. Um, And since then, we have not had actually any kind of positive response from them. Just these statements that they put out in the media. And they got on a pretty hard intimidation campaign that includes... So we have weekly canvases where people... We share these, like, strike bulletins that you can see here. So we basically tell people, hey, this is what's going on. You know, this was becoming, um, and every week there is a collective canvas. So within we have the security. building or within the larger within, community. No, no, within the building. Gotcha. Yeah. From led by by the tenants in the building, um, but we get uh, security guards following us. First, they try to stop the canvas. He's saying that um, we cannot canvas, and we're like, so we recorded it and we say, look, we are within our rights. If you insist on this, you know. Uh, we're gonna take you whatever, take you to court, which I don't know what we said the they thre- they said well, we're gonna call the police for trespassing, okay, call them, bring them on like people live in this building. what are you gonna do like take them like trespassing on their own house like it's it's just ridiculous um so it's actually it's turned into somewhat of a funny it it was very scary the first time, I think we stood our ground, people saw that they were like, okay, wow we can actually, like, fuck security, you know? This is all right, let's keep going, you know? I think that really encouraged people, um, to the point that, you know, after a few floors with the two or three security guards following people canvassing, they become part of the conversation, you know? You're at the door, you're like, oh yeah, the landlord, this is what they're doing, sending these guys. You know, and you have the security guard there, just like, security guards are precarious, tenants probably, as well, who get paid minimum wage, so, the, their empathy maybe not very obvious, but it's more with the tenants or with the landlord um but they're still doing their job as security guys so I don't wanna <laughs> they're not allies I just wanna say that um they also see their precarity uh, but in any case I, I think this these kind of things tend to backfire because the other thing is one day they put notices on every tenant on rent strike on their parking lot saying you're occupying a parking lot that doesn't belong to you. If you don't remove it, we're gonna to tow your car. And people have parking in their leases, and they've been using the same parking lot for many years. So there was a resistance. Everybody took back those notices to their office and said, "If you try to tow the car, we're gonna we're gonna start parking whatever we want, and you're gonna have a mess in your parking lot. And even the tenants that are not on strike. Are gonna want you to resolve this. You're not gonna have enough tow cars to move." Anyways, they didn't tow anyone's car, but basically to the intimidation, we try to respond with collective responses. Don't let people on their own just go to their office or message the landlord. Just let us, you know, let everybody know. Let's respond collectively. How can we do it?
0: You've emboldened, like, and each other, right? Not just you, Bruno, but what an emboldening process to do within the community, just all of these stories are just proof of people pushing back in circumstances that they may not have had they not had the collective power behind them or just the examples that they've been afforded of other people being successful or at least resistant because those are some serious harassment techniques. Like, they've learned that from Amazon and Starbucks. Like, but it's it's a different... It seems a little easier... As a tenant, because in that workplace, you wouldn't get away with that pushback,
2: <laughs> you know. Like, well, depends on the numbers. I think there's for for me like the key, and we tell this to everybody, is the strength in numbers. If if you have that, you can push back against so many things, like, and in in a workplace as well. Um, I mean, I've been I've been on strike myself in my workplace and. If you have the numbers, you can occupy your workplace, stay there to live, and, try to, and they can try to get you out. But if you have the vast majority of people with you, it's very difficult for any kind of authority. And of course, there is intimidation, there is force, there's many things. But I, think, I do think the strength in numbers is what makes a difference. Had three tenants said, look, we're going to just park anywhere. OK, three tow cars is easy.
1: Can you tow 60 cars at the same time? No. I wanted to ask, because you mentioned very early on about uh got you questions coming from unsympathetic media, how has that response from the media been how has that affected the organizing um, and and also just a response from from the general public people who are not a part of this
2: um you know what I think is being overwhelmingly positive um, from the media this I think a very interesting distinction. This depends on what role people play in the media. They may be tenants themselves. Um, they might have precarious jobs, and you know they're a producer that very sympathetic to your cause. Um, so we had actually a lot of media attention, uh, and we build relationships as well with certain journalists that we know, or producers who we know are, uh, are, maybe not openly, but we know that they're gonna give us a good perspective that we can we can go on. To be honest, since the actual rent strike has started, we had a lot of media attention from all kinds of uh, sources. What makes me think is that this is an issue that kind of crosses the right and left media space. And um, we had media that is very right wing, covering the strikes in fairly positive uh, view, like uh, I've been surprised. Um, media from the US that are like right wing media that has also covered the strike and not because we have given them an interview just because they picked it up. That's what we find out from just others, not. In, uh, but so that makes me think that it's an issue that it's really a working class issue across the spectrum and that people are noticing. And I think, uh, yeah, there's a certain consensus. Unfortunately, it's not on the political side, especially I think it's still a lot of work to do on parties of the left to come along but don't even get me started, Bruno. Uh, we can have that discussion but uh, I think it is it is there it is there at the base that's what I, we we get a sense of but it's very anecdotal I don't know I don't have numbers just in case of in terms of anything we put out on on social media people are really supportive any articles that come out we get messages now from the Tenant Union from all over the country people saying not just tenants who want to do it themselves or so who are in similar situations, but people saying, hey, like, my kids cannot afford their rents. I'm a homeowner, but, you know, this is very important. I think the most the most difficult issue has been the the landlord lobby and how they operate. And it's very similar to the 15 and Fairness, uh, the, the minimum wage campaign, when Loblaws will never come out publicly and say, we cannot afford a $15 minimum wage. They will always use... um. John runs a convenience store, and if he had to pay $15, he will go bankrupt. It's the same with the landlords. They actually never come out themselves to any interview, the big corporate landlords. They always use the example of the senior that rents their basement in order to be able to survive, because without that rent, they just can't live. They got to pay their
0: mortgage, Bruno, right? Yeah. Then this is going to unleash unharness their, their power <laughs> as landlords. <laughs> there's always
2: that uh, that I think there is a certain so I I even think the, the senior landlord story they haven't really come out much lately is more the like young couple that depends entirely on their tenants to pay their mortgage It's like they have a divine right to for their mortgage to be paid through the tenants. That is an unquestionable thing in Canada no like I got a mortgage and I'm renting and these tenants are supposed to pay for it uh, and if they do anything to jeopardize that, the Canadian dream is over for me you know it's just like very tragic like why why should we if your mortgage goes up I don't know sell your house it, maybe you're not why should it be on the backs of tenants to pay for your <laughs> wealth you know it's, it's they like really the, pay rent.
1: It's the one investment that people would say that you're not allowed to lose any money on, that it always has to be making money or else.
2: Yeah. And worse is that often those stories, when you actually look at them in more detail, it's always actually not just one family that rents their basement. It's the only house they have. is their investment property. You just... You know, look a little bit further and then you find out that it's actually someone that maybe owns two or three houses um, who thought that they were going to save themselves with these investments. Well, maybe that's not the investment for you. I don't know.
0: And all of it's to deflect from these corporate landlords making 50% off of everybody's rent.
1: Yeah. And that's so much more of the story too. Like I I live in Parto when I walk around, you know, you see the same three, four companies on the name outside of every building, on all of these buildings. And there, that's the vast majority of the cases. I remember I read a really good article about the myth of the mom and pop landlord. It's such a small percentage comparatively. I wanted to say real quick too about, you know, there was, I, I read this study recently from the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternative about the one bedroom rental wage, which is... Thirty-three dollars and sixty-two cents in Toronto, compared to the minimum wage of fifteen dollars and fifty cents. So, like, it's very clear. I don't. I don't know exactly how people are affording rent. That uh, the answer, I think, overwhelmingly is people aren't and having to make incredible sacrifices. But the organizing that you're doing and this example and what you're saying about crossing some of those media barriers and the the feedback that is so so important for showing people that they're they're not helpless when it comes they don't just have to put up with this this vast exploitation that they have options and resources and there's a way that they can fight back and i just wanted to thank you for providing that example because that is incredibly valuable
2: thank you santiago appreciate that um i do think it's I don't want to exaggerate either on how big this could become, you know, uh, because I think that depends on capacity and structure, and it's not an instantaneous, spontaneous thing that it's just going to happen because they heard about it, right? Sometimes I wish, you know, that kind of thing would happen, but no, the reality is that it takes a lot of organizing. But I do think, um, look, I can tell you 95% of the people on RenStrike never thought they would take a decision like this. And I don't know if they will walk back from such involvement. Like it's it's a life-changing process, right? You're like, wow, look, I can do this. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, there is that, and I, it, that's just like, you you kind of crossed a, you know, it's a big, big barrier that you cross from, I need to wait for things to maybe happen and I have no control to, we can be, we can make change happen ourselves as, as a collective. Um, and I don't need to live an individual life. Um, like one of the most rewarding thing for me when we have the canvas is, is the mixes of the teams. So we, the, especially, I mean, both buildings are very diverse, but just to give you an example, at 33 King, there's a mix of people from all backgrounds. Um, but just how things have happened that the teams are mixed between people that maybe you wouldn't have thought about you know a senior from Sri Lanka with like a white tenant from the US suppose you know something like that who are now buddies who now you know or <laughs> like it's just these kind of connections that now start happening so it's one the encouragement that I can change things but also that well damn, this is the community that we can have we don't need to leave Lonely lives. Um, I hope that more people take that. Um, it is you need to have someone to respond to those demands or some collective, some organization. And I think that is something that I am mindful. Unfortunately, we we all have day jobs and we don't have the capacity to respond in the way we would like to to every request that we've had from people saying, "Hey." how are you doing this I want if, if I was to do it myself um, what would I do what should I start with all of that it would be amazing to have the time and capacity to be able to follow up because I then I do think it could it could balloon and this is also one of the reasons why Dream is probably not caving so far because they are under a lot of pressure from the landlord lobby not to uh, not to concede because they they know that A lot is at stake in this, and the same with PSP investments in Thorncliffe Park.
0: And they're probably banking that they can hold out longer than you can maintain your momentum or your capacity levels. So how can anybody listening help you?
2: You can help in many different ways. So um, the first part I think is, if you're willing to help us on our phone teams, or on our canvassing teams, that is amazing. Um, we have groups of tenants uh, regularly call through the building, especially checking in with people. You don't need to be an expert in organizing. It's just about, how's it going? What have you heard from the landlord? So for that, we, we are always looking for, for help, for support. It's always very helpful. It can be done from the comfort of your home. <laughs> if you wanna come to the community, more than welcome with canvases, we have canvases every week as well that uh, we invite people to participate. If none of these are options, uh, making a donation is always helpful. We have a strike fund at tenantunion.ca slash donate. Uh, we can share the link with the, in the in, with the show later. It's also important because it allows, we're a grassroots organization. We don't have any core funding from anyone. We just basically print as we go what we can. <laughs> That's mainly what's happening. Um, And then lastly, I would say perhaps the best way you can help us is organizing your own place. And, you know, hopefully when we win this, we can have many sessions with many people to say, this is what's happening here. You know, what is your context and how can we support you? Because I think organizing wherever you are, it's perhaps the best help we could get, more people going on, on strikes. Just keep in mind that you need the strength in numbers. Don't do it on your own.
0: <laughs> well, here's to hoping a lot of those big, huge unions who are showing solidarity can maybe, you know, open up their pocketbooks a bit, because just as important it is for Dream Unlimited to set an example for their lobbyist community, right, for the landlords, they need to win this strike, folks, right? Like. The resources need to be poured into maintaining this strike so it can set the right example for strikes to come. All that that organizing in your own building is really great too. But yeah, if you're listening and you you can help out this strike or you can help out the strike at Thorncliffe, this is critical. This is critical. And I think that's why it's gained so much traction is because it's different than workplace strikes and all the kudos to unions. And I understand their importance. No one no one's going to doubt that here on the show. But those are sometimes not very tangible for people. Right. The, The strikes that happen don't often unless you're part of them, that workplace, they don't often set an example for you. It's usually very workplace specific, but like everyone's had a bad landlord. Everyone is paying too much in rent and no one really knows what to do about it. No one thinks that they can fight back other than collect, go to the laundry room, complain. Like I've gone to that stage. Most of us have and found the common ground, right?
2: The laundry room is the organizing place.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, I know I've been there. So we can all relate to that, but it's just that seeing that fire lit, finally, um, out of the angst of all of these renters, I think is really inspiring people. It's probably worrying the right people too, which makes me even more excited.
2: I I would will, I will say, so one is that I do think there's a shift in the labor movement, um, and we've noticed it, like, we I don't think when we started, we thought we would get this many unions out for a rally. Um, we've also done it in a way that it's also valuable for them. We identified members. The way why we contacted certain unions is because their members are on strike in the building. That's how we did it. Um, so I think there is a shift there. I don't know how far it's going to go, but there is definitely something happening there. No matter how good your collective bargaining agreement is, paying rent today, it's a big issue and unless you address it the other way it's going to be, you're going to have to negotiate 30% increases in order to catch up um, the other thing is that I, this is part of the history of struggles around the world and in Canada, we had rent strikes they've existed for many, many years sometimes we focus too much on the early nineteen hundred celebrations but they can happen, those things can happen again and I think we might be in a moment that it's it's like that where a lot of people are using the place where they organize their homes as a place where they organize, uh, just because of how precarious everything else is. Um, and I'm hoping that this is going to be just an a motivation for
0: everyone else. Surely, surely the more people that hear about this, the more people you're going to see replicated. I can't thank you enough, Bruno. This has been one of my favorite interviews because it was so uplifting I am filled with such feelings of hope after this conversation because it's not just the bad landlords, which we can all relate to, but you talked about just building community in spaces that sometimes have such difficulty doing that because of, you know, the laundry room is not that cool to hang out in. So it takes work. It takes work connecting people in apartment buildings too and 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 other forms of living. But I can't think you enough the folks that you're working with, and for taking the time to then give our audience some blueprints on how to start their own tenant union. So thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Jason Santiago. It's, I mean, it, I've I've heard the podcast before, so it's I feel like I'm with the stars, <laughs> chatting with the stars. So very happy to to be here and to follow up this conversation. Anytime we can, we know we're gonna keep. I encourage everybody to follow the tenant union account on social media. Um. this we expect a lot of things happening over the next two weeks um. so just uh, we'll we'll try to keep everybody posted on that
0: that's great bruno we'll be sure to link both your donation fund um your strike fund to the show notes as well as your socials and anything i can find that i think people should be pointed towards so they can help you out as well as the folks at thorncliffe excellent thank you so much That is a wrap on another episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Also, a very big thank you to the producer of our show, Santiago Halu Quintero. Blueprints of Disruption is an independent production operated cooperatively. You can follow us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. If you'd like to help us continue disrupting the status quo, please share our content. And if you have the means, consider becoming a patron. Not only does our support come from the progressive community, so does our content. So reach out to us and let us know what or who we should be amplifying. So until next time, keep disrupting.